Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com. And if you want to join, all you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written published article, Who Was at the Helm, 
from 1965. It's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage Show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump. Much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar and you get a better buzz. <laughs> with the Savage Premium. So go to go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Here's an opportunity to learn lessons from the events of January 6th. Investigation should be considered. As to the funding and traveling, what appears to be professional Agitated. We learned this morning uh, that former Senate Sergeant at Arms Michael Stenger was unfortunately uh, found dead yesterday morning in his home. Welcome to the Michael Savage podcast. Today's edition or episode is entitled January 6th Security Chief Dead Natural Causes? Question mark. Well, we don't know the answer, actually. You'll find out in this special podcast today that even an expert in national security has no idea whether the security chief for January 6th died of natural causes. Nobody knows, right? The interview today is with Tom Sarnicola, author of a book called No Kings, No Kooks, Confessions of a National Security Agent. He spent 15 years as a federal special agent conducting national security and background investigations for the government and military personnel. And believe it or not, was introduced to this show back in the 90s by his late Italian mother, God rest her soul. So, given his intelligence background, I asked Tom if we should be suspicious of the sudden death of Senate Sergeant-at-Arms Michael Stenger, who was in charge of Capitol Security on January 6th, and who himself blamed, quote, professional agitators and then died hours before the surprise hearing that took place this week. Very suspicious. It's like a third world country. And, of course, something else with the breaking news about Roe v. Wade. We delayed the second part of my interview on this subject with Leighton Woodhouse, a filmmaker who knows about crime in San Francisco. And we have it here for you today. Crime in San Francisco, as you well know, is out of control. And our guest describes how he feels the progressives have hijacked the liberals and have become a party of extremism and censorship. Our guest then explains how the lawlessness of democratic policies are inhumane and contribute to the breakdown of one's great cities. Yeah, like we don't know that. In any case, I hope you enjoyed this podcast today. And if you do, all I ask you to do is share it with several friends who do not know about us. Thank you very much. I'm Michael Savage. We have a very special guest today, and that man is Tom Sarnicola. Did I pronounce it incorrectly, of course? <laughs> no, you did just fine, Dr. Savage. Thank well, you for having me. From New York. Okay, Sarnicola. But there's more to a name than meets the eye. He's the author of a book called No Kings, No Kooks, Confessions of a National Security Agent. He and I have some similar backgrounds, working class, 
family from the Bronx. His was Italian. Mine was Jewish. But as my friend Lorenzo Petrona used to say, God rest his soul. Uh, same a corporation, different division. So Tom invites the reader into his world of security clearance investigations for the federal government and the military. He was there. He has done that. He worked for the Department of Defense as an investigator, and he has some interesting stories to tell us today. Um, he wrote this to me. He said, I've been a fan of Mr. Savage for many years. My Italian-American mother, God rest her soul, listened to you every day and introduced me to your radio show in the late 90s. Well, she must have been a great lady. I spent 15 years a federal special agent conducting national security and background investigations for government and military personnel. The book is my sojourn from the Bronx to Los Angeles and finally to the San Francisco Bay Area with highlights of actual cases I investigated. I currently live in the SF Bay Area and I'm retired. Well, I wish I were retired, Tom. I could be. I, people think I'm retired because I'm not on the radio. I'm working harder than I ever worked in my life. But it's I not all that, it's not all that it's cracked to be, though. I'll tell you, it's a challenge being retired. It's a full time job filling up. I mean, I see the white guys watching the sprinklers go back and forth on their lawns out in the suburbs. I say, no, I'm not ready for that one. But, Tom, you led an exciting life doing investigations in the area of national security. And I have a question right off the bat. Just the other day, we we're watching the charade of the Senate hearing, so-called, which is a Soviet show trial, trying to pin the tail on Trump as being worse than Adolf Hitler and Mussolini combined. And the worst we have learned so far is that he threw a sandwich against the wall when he got angry, which may or may not be true. But I've thrown stuff against walls once in two of my my father, rest in peace, once threw a meatloaf against the wall in Queens when he got mad at my mother because the meatloaf didn't taste right. The pot roast men do crazy things when they get angry and throwing meat against the wall can't be the worst thing a president has ever done, especially when we have it, <laughs> what we have in the White House right now with what's going on with Ukraine. But we learned that the Senate Sergeant at Arms, Michael Stenger, who was in charge of capital security on Jan 6th, and he himself blamed, quote, professional agitators for the riots, died suddenly the other day, hours before the surprise hearing ginned up because of so-called safety concerns for the young lady who spoke uh, yesterday, Mark Meadows, top aide. Would it be a conspiracy theory, Tom, to think it was coincidental and not coincidental, not coincidental? You know, I just saw that story this week, so I don't have a lot of insight to uh, say, but we'll say this. Uh, when someone works for the federal government, depending upon their position, they have to get a security clearance. And I'm assuming the aides in Congress definitely would, the staff and so forth, because they're going to be having access to very sensitive or classified information. So all I can say is if you're an employee of the federal government, one of the guidelines that could trigger a, uh, a disqualification of your clearance would be uh, overthrowing the government or associating with people who have that intent. So unless that can be proven, uh, that the person was actively involved in disrupting the government, everyone is allowed to protest freely. Uh, civil disobedience, of course, is certainly allowed as a government employee. But if it went beyond that, that would be a concern for uh, them continuing no, but I mean, Michael Stanger, age 71, died suddenly on Monday of this week, and he was in charge of securing the Capitol on January 6th. He resigned after the attack and he died the same day the committee session was announced. Yeah. Foul play. I have no idea, but it's okay. very suspicious. It's very suspicious. All right. Anyone would put what? It's like the Clinton years are back again. <laughs> 
The man in charge of protecting the Senate during the Capitol riot dies a day before the committee investigating the attack. Now, he resigned, Tom, amid criticism. He had failed to react effectively to the building being overrun. Do you have any comments on the actual event and what you saw and what you would? Was there a failure of maintaining proper security there that day? Let's say without blaming anybody. From what I've read, there may have been a lapse of response by the House to uh, invoke the National Guard to come in. Um, I wasn't there. I don't know. I'm not privy to all the details, but there is some sort of controversy of who called who and when and who didn't act. Um, again, to to support Donald Trump at the rally was one thing. To go into the government uh, offices and damage property is another. A hundred percent. I watched it unfold, and I'll say again on this podcast because I've said it before. I was watching it happen. And when they breached the Capitol wall and I said, wait a minute to Ryan, I said, Ryan, what the hell are they doing? What are they climbing up here? Something's wrong. They were up on the balustrade. They were about to break the glass. I said, this doesn't make sense. Why is this happening? This is way beyond even angry protest. This is a crime. So, I, I mean, OK, fine. But how did it happen? Why did the police or how do you keep them out? How do you keep a mob out when they're breaking glass? Well, I think they were overpowered, the Capitol Police. So I believe okay. the National Guard were being considered to come in. And that would be the way to uh, prevent that. But it was too little too late, I believe. Right. So you take you're taking the point of view of a neutral view, which is that it just happened. Really, nobody planned it to happen this way. Probably even the organizers didn't think that it would get that far. Uh, and certainly the government was caught flat footed. Once again, it was like Pearl Harbor. This was like an, an, a, a Pearl Harbor attack that was unexpected, which should have been expected. Uh, now, yesterday on the uh, the hearings with this intern, Casey Hutchinson or whatever her name is, she said Trump grabbed the steering wheel of the Secret Service agent. They have Secret Service agents today saying they're willing to testify that that never happened. Did you see that story? Yes, I did. So what what do you make of it? I mean, we don't know. Well, from my experience as an investigator, there's two sides of every story. So unless until someone actually digs in and finds uh, the details or puts a person under uh, oath, uh, it's you can have opinions. But I tend to be neutral because I wasn't there again. But unless the facts come out. Uh, right, so you, you did security clearances, correct? Yes, I did two types. Um, I started out uh, under contract with a private contract company. That's how my book begins for two years. And then I went over to the federal side as a federal employee for another 13. So a total of 15 years. And there were two types of investigations we would do. We would do initial background investigations for young people coming into the military or coming into civilian service. And then once you got into the military or federal workforce, in that clearance, and that's where violations would occur. There's actually 13 reasons why a person could either have a clearance revoked or actually be criminally prosecuted if it got to be that serious. 13 reasons. That's right. I want to in interject for a moment because when Obama was president, I remember saying on the radio he wouldn't qualify to be an FBI agent given his shady background. Was I wrong? No, you're correct. And that's where the press has to do their job because uh, elected officials don't have security clearances. They're read into secure information. Uh, so the press is supposed to uncover the background of people so that the electorate can vote properly. <laughs> but Ob I, I, I don't want to keep beating up on Obama, but boy, I don't think the man could have become an FBI agent with his background. 
Okay, but th- that was then. This is now. It was eight years of a, of a holy hell. Now we have, and I don't want to drag you again into the Biden story, but the sun and what came out the other day. What do you make of that? It's very, it's, it's very uh, suspicious. And uh, I know what to say. It, it's um, not very reflective. doesn't reflect well upon the president, unfortunately. And uh, you have to assume that the people in position of power and law enforcement will do their job and do it appropriately to come to the conclusion of what needs to be sought out. Okay, we we there's no point bashing Biden. He does it for himself every time he, he he says anything. It's an embarrassment. I feel more pity for him than I do anything else. The man is absolutely in the early stages or mid stages of pre senile dementia, if not worse. Everyone who has studied, you know, this condition knows that it's like the king has no clothes. If he were a Republican, he wouldn't be in office. The press would have hounded him out of office. And that brings us to Kamala Harris, who worked for Willie Brown. We'd have no comment on that one. So it's like it's a Hobson. What's it? A Hobson's choice. Which is worse? Is it living with this one or her? I don't know. He, he He's so um, you don't know what he's going to do. Did you see the notes last week? You sit down. You stand up. Yes. You say hello to the press. He accidentally turned the card the wrong way. Yes. How do we live like how did we get here? Tom, has the country broken down on virtually every level? Well, I'm a little younger than you, uh, Dr. Savage. And uh, you were in the heyday of the 60s and 70s. I graduated high school in the 70s when Vietnam had just ended. Ah. And I tell my children, I've got three daughters, that everything bad happened in the 60s. It's just kind of devolved, I think, uh, to this point. And you see it in so many ways. I'm, uh, I spent many years in doing volunteer service and just on a small scale, you see people not willing to volunteer in their communities, uh, various outreach and nonprofit groups. So you see that alone, that people are just too busy to uh, having too much difficulty just making a living today with inflation and so forth. Right. So you see our culture wars continuing uh, to happen where the music has changed, of course, and music, uh, right. art. So I think it's getting uh, worse unless there's some sort of um, renewal of people. Can we have a renewal? I don't know. That's up to fate more than anything. Michael Savage, a host like no other. So you were an investigator to make sure a person was not a threat to the national security, correct? That's basically it. That's correct. Okay. Did you ever feel that your life was at risk with anyone you were, you know, not by giving out any names, in, like looking at the, someone who looked pretty bad and, and you thought they would go for you? Uh, only when we had to go into the neighborhoods, uh, we would travel throughout the Bay Area. They sent me on temporary duty assignments all over California. Uh, you go into neighborhoods that were not safe. We had government plated cars. So mm. see you coming in a neighbor, in a neighborhood, knock on doors and try and find information about Mm. Person who either was gaining entrance into the federal government or military or someone who had violated one of those 13 guidelines and they were trying to get more information. But I was never physically accosted. It was just being situational aware. I'm from New York, so I can uh, have a head, my head on a swivel. And uh, yeah, everyone uh, grew up with their head on a swivel or they didn't last very long. Even in the in the in the good days, New York was right. always a risky place. And I was warned by my dad. 
who took me by the hand on the lower east side. He's taught me to be aware and wary all the time. And it's always worked for me. But in California, they, they thought you're paranoid if you acted that way. That's right. Is it paranoid to go into a restaurant and sit with your back to a wall and a corner table? Probably. I always choose a corner table with my back to the wall if I can. I don't like sitting with my, especially in these days. And I don't think I'm crazy with what I see going on. Why shouldn't I see it coming? Exactly right. And, do, you know, prepare myself for it. So. I was trying to teach those lessons to my children as well. So oh, no, they don't. They think you're crazy. I'm sure they think you're overly paranoid. Old world guy from New York. Uh, dad's a nice guy, but he doesn't get how nice the world really is. And that, that's thanks to you raising them in such a secure environment. Michael, I wanted to say that not only do we have being born in New York in common, but both our fathers died young. It's in my book. My father died of a heart condition at age 55. Oh, my God. And I'm a grandson of an immigrant. I know you're a son. Of an immigrant, yes. we have that in common. I'm the first person to have completed college. Yes, and I lived in Berkeley for about four years when I first moved up here from Los Angeles. I know you went to uh, UC Berkeley. What years were those? Uh, Eighty-four um, to ninety. Oh, Berkeley was already pretty radicalized in the eighties. Right, so it was post uh, the hippie. Uh, yeah, and, and, and the so-called moved. free speech movement was anything but. It was an anarchy movement. That's right. And we both, good, we both love good Italian food. So we have a lot in common. Well, we'll have to talk about that because I remember saying we'll talk about Italian food right now, which is more interesting to me than anything. <laughs> Being from New York, it's still a food thing. I mean, I keep saying I can't get Italian food in the San Francisco area. And I know some of my friends. Well, thank goodness. I'm not. Thank goodness. One of them has died. He'd kill me. But real Italian food to me means Southern Italian, heavy red sauce, or it's not Italian food. It doesn't taste like Italian food to me. I like to everything drowned in red sauce. I know about all the other sauce. I just don't like them. You know, I'm not a northern Italian on the Swiss border type of guy. So here in the Bay Area, I used to have a friend. I still know him. He owned Pinocchio. In uh, did you know? Did you know that restaurant? Yes, uh, I spent a lot of time in North Beach doing a lot of. It was uh, very good, and 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 um, Giovanni had to close the restaurant during the COVID epidemic. It was a real heartbreak for him because he he came here with nothing. Fisherman on a boat and built a two restaurant chain, wound up losing everything. I went to dinner with him two weeks ago. He's still living around here. I can't mention the restaurant, but his friend. Oh, I said, Giovanni, is there one Italian restaurant in the Bay Area that's any good? He said, yes, it's in Terra Linda. I said, where? I'll tell you off the air. <laughs> but it's New York style. Um, Food is key to life. We all know that. And, and having a good meal with friends, of course, is the key to it all. When you interviewed people to bring it back to the interview, did you ever break bread with them when you really wanted to get into what was going on? Did you have a, did you go out of the professional realm into the eating realm to see? No, never, never did. Would, wouldn't step over that line. It was very professional. Yeah. See, but I would think that would be a way to let have someone let their hair down, you know, I think uh, and part of my critique in the book is the workload was so heavy that uh, the agents, unfortunately, were just under the gun to get the cases completed. So you basically oh. did your case and moved on to the next one. So uh, you throw a few wines into someone, they're going to be a little different. But if they're really not good people and they're wary, they're not going to drink. That's right. Or if you're trying to you know, penetrate their, their, their aura, so to speak. So yeah. it wouldn't have worked anyway with someone who was a professional uh, trying to break into the military who's bad. They would have probably seen right through that or 
or worse yet, not had the drinks or had the drinks and been able to handle them and pretend they were drunk and do a reversal on <laughs> on the investigator. Like, oh, yeah, like I'm really loose now and really give away nothing except what they want you to hear. Right. And part of the guidelines, the 13 guidelines, of course, alcohol use is not prohibited. It's the abuse. Uh, so we would look at patterns of behavior. So if someone had multiple DUIs and within a relatively short period of time, that would be a concern. Wouldn't necessarily mean they would not get the clearance, but it could be a disqualifier. If a person had a DUI 10 years ago, that's very different than someone getting a DUI yesterday or, or last last week. So well, we gonna, look at those factors. I'd love to get into what disqualifies a person from a security clearance. Many years ago, it has to be at least 20 years ago, I'm sorry to say, Michael Levine, who was a DEA undercover agent, he was also from the Bronx. Does the name ring a bell? He wrote The Big White Lie. He was a DEA agent. No. Amazing. This man was Jewish from the Bronx, but he looked like a Sicilian mafioso, big guy. And he spoke different dialects of Spanish. And as a DEA agent, he went into Colombia, not Colombia, I think that area within the cocaine triangle area. And he said he was interviewed by the head of one of the cartels who was waiting for one slip in an accent. They would have killed him. I said, how did you as a Jew from the Bronx, how did you learn to speak in three or four dialects, Puerto Rican, Cuban, let us say uh, Argentinian, mainland Spanish, you know, Castilian Spanish, Colombian. How he said, I have an ear for languages. He said, but they were sensitive to the merest change of a of a word. And he wrote the big white lie. Of course, he was anti-government. After he got through, he said the government was more corrupt than than the cartels were. He was very jaded. I hope Michael's still well. Did you encounter that kind of thing in your work where you felt you were interviewing someone who was dangerous and faking it? No, I wouldn't say that. Some of the uh, incidents I write about in the book were just disturbing. There was a number of rape cases that we had investigated to determine what happened again, um, get the facts. And of course, there's two sides of your story. Right. Uh, one captain in the Air Force was actually was a pilot, went through a court martial and was uh, absolved because the woman who was allegedly raped, um, it was her word against his word. There were no witnesses. And he actually hired a high powered lawyer who actually specializes in defending people who have their security clearances revoked. And he won the case. So I had to re-interview him, and basically he just uh, didn't give me any information at all. Uh, he said, talk to my lawyer, which he has every right to do. So I had to interview the woman who uh, was allegedly raped. So you see things like that, and coming from a very traditional Italian-American Catholic family, I just I would shake my head saying, how do people get themselves in these situations? And they were both out drinking, and that's what started the incident uh, or the alleged incident. So that was always surprising to me. I had a career before getting into the government. I was a professional fundraiser, very successful for about 14, 15 years. And then when 9-11 hit, uh, the donations dried up and I was out of work. So my twin brother, who has since passed, uh, but he Tom, was Excuse me, you were a fundraiser for various groups? Yes, for medical research, nonprofits uh, in the Bay Area. I was a regional director and was doing very well at that. But 9-11 occurred and American Airlines was one of the major donors. Uh, Arthur Anderson Accounting went out of business. So I was let go and the staff was let go because we just could not raise funds anymore. So I was out of work. And my twin brother was with the U.S. Marshals in the Los Angeles federal courts. And he told me of the government having a massive 
hiring at the time. So after 9-11 now, oh. you know, the Department of Homeland Security was just being stood up. TSA was a new agency, hmm. uh, massive hiring. So I applied with a uh, private for-profit company, got on, did my two years, and then was able to transition over to the federal side. What did so, your brother pass away from? Uh, believe it or not, dementia, early onset dementia. So when you talk about uh, Joe, uh, President I Biden, know. I see similarities in that. Well, and then I don't joke about it. I don't think it's something to laugh at. I mean, I, I don't mock Biden. I pity him that yeah. they're doing this to him because he's an embarrassment to himself. I'm yeah. sorry to hear that. Um, so you got into the government after 9-11. I see here you also served on the California Governor's Subcommittee on Italian-American Affairs. Certainly wasn't for Governor Newsom, was it? <laughs> no, not at all. It was with uh, Governor Pete Wilson at the time. <laughs> okay. And uh, I was, <laughs> it's when you could call it Columbus Day back then. Now you can't call it that. You know, it's funny. I'm thinking back now. I remember just before I got into radio, just after I got into radio, which is 1994, I was in the North Beach restaurant hanging at the bar and and Governor Newsom's father, Judge Newsom, was there and we were chatting away. And I said, you know, your son just committed career suicide with this gay marriage business. He said, oh, I agree with you 100 percent. Of course, we are both wrong. Uh, <laughs> and I named him any twosome Newsom at the time, which was quite funny. And Gavin, I don't think ever held it against me. He understands politics well enough to understand that both sides operate the way they have to operate. And he's, he's Machiavellian, very smart. He's much smarter than people think, Tom. People underestimate Gavin Newsom. Interesting. And just as a side note, do you think he can make it the presidency? I don't think so. I don't think he has the um, clout nationally. Um, who knows? Politics is strange. And uh, who knew that uh, Obama would be president coming from out of nowhere? So uh, you never can tell, I suppose. Well, you know, I'm, I brought it up, not you. And I'm thinking about it now. He's putting his hat in the ring, so to speak, because he sees a vacuum. Mm -hmm. Handsome guy, movie star, handsome, beautiful wife, children, all strikes against them in this woke society. He's white. He's straight. He's married with beautiful children. I mean, that's four strikes in a row. What is he thinking? And he's Catholic, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, what are they thinking? It's certain. It's suddenly not 1950. It's not the Eisenhower years where this bright young politician, even a Democrat leftist, can go somewhere. I don't know. I mean, that party has moved so out of America, they may as well be on another planet altogether. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. I want to go back to the title of your book and see if we can move it a little more succinctly in that direction. Why did you call the book No Kings, No Kooks? confessions of a national security agent what does that mean well my father uh was was a very quiet man and uh would criticize friends of mine and teenage friends of mine or just people he met in italian the, the term is mamaluke someone who i know the word <laughs> or odd so the english would be kook and well, uh, i never knew mamaluke meant that i was here they would say he's a real mamaluke i didn't yeah, know what it was like odd strange uh, something of that nature. So in doing the job as a, a special agent, I realized the agents who we let go and some there were some who were fired were either strange or they had this self-aggrandizement opinion of themselves as a king. Think of them as a king that could walk into a office and just start demanding wow. uh, people to talk to them, even though they have a badge. They would expect people to 
bow down to them. Isn't that and that's so not the way it worked. Uh, people nowadays, they'll slam the door in your face if you show your badge. So the respect that any law enforcement person has to say is really being. Uh, uh, I'm worried about it. Yeah, I'm very worried about the lack of respect for law enforcement since this killing of George Floyd. And the country seems to have had a nervous breakdown. And you've probably heard that the New York PD, NYPD, uh, my uncle served there years ago as a captain. The retirements and resignations transfers are through. Oh, the detectives are all quitting. They said yeah. they're letting them out the next day and they're laughing in the face of the cops. Yeah. Who is this idiot at Bragg? How did they put a guy in who's, who's so is he working for the for the for the gangs? It makes you wonder. Yeah. You know, it's, sure. it's, it's like here in San Francisco, we just had a recall, a really big one. They got rid of this uh, left wing fanatic, son of terrorists. He announces yesterday he's going to run again yeah. for the D.A. How is that possible? Yeah. Why would he think he could run again? What does he have the cartels behind him? I'm so you I have no answer to this question. He was letting heroin dealers out the next day. He didn't want to arrest them because he said he would have to deport them and he didn't want to deport anyone from Honduras. Remember that movie, The Departed? Do you remember that movie where the uh, I guess it was Whitey Bulger, loosely based, played by the uh, Jack. What was who was the actor? Nicholson Nicholson character. Well, he plants two young guys into or one young guy into the um, Massachusetts State Police. Leon DiCaprio is the good one. And the bad one is played by the other actor whose name. Do you remember the name? I forget. I, I whatever. So they go into the state police and they're basically one of them is reporting right to the gangster who cultivated this kid from the time he was 14, sent him through the academy, puts him into the police department, and then he becomes in charge of the intelligence service of the police department. And he's feeding all the information to the gang. I'm sure things like that are happening right now. We don't have to even ask the question. Of course, it's happening now. And, and it's like life, you know, imitates art. Or is art imitating life, that movie? It certainly was based on reality for them to have written such a script. Here in California, it looks to me like we have lost complete control of law enforcement. I agree, Michael. And that's my concern. Uh, I think, the, obviously, the police have a much more difficult than I did. They stop people randomly. who They have no idea who they're stopping. We knew who we were investigating. We had done such a rigorous background uh, check on them. We knew when we walked into that interview who that person was. So uh, it was a different situation but the police i don't know how they're going to recruit young people to go into that unless they're bad people or stupid i don't know you don't need a college degree uh, and you never have uh, to get into police work just a high school education is required there's more police who do have college degrees nowadays but it's certainly not a requirement well we're in a dangerous place in american history and uh you dedicated yourself to uh to, to law enforcement and in your book, you talk about no kings, no kooks. I love Mama Luke. What is the derivation of that word, Mama Luke? In, in is that an Italian word or is it derived from another language? It's derived from another language. Another language. I believe so. Probably Turkish or something. I believe so. Once you look into it. So before we go, um, you're from New York. You relocated to the Bay Area. What do you miss most about New York? And, and people ask me that. I said nothing because the New York I miss doesn't exist anymore. I'm so lost in the in the past that in order to see New York, I watched 1950s film noir movies with Broderick Crawford oh. or my favorite actress, Sterling Hayden. Remember uh -huh. Sterling Hayden? Oh, you know, Sterling. Rosalito, real sailor, ocean sailor. 
right. real hardcore. He was he worked in the CIA when it was hardly formed in the beginning. People don't know that he ran boats in the Mediterranean during World War Two uh, for the military sailboats. He was an amazing man. Do you miss anything from New York? Well, I mentioned in my book, one of the chapters uh, I have there is when I went back to New York. I haven't been back there since um, with my brother. And uh, the only remaining relatives I have are two cousins. One works for the New York Police Department as an analyst. And my cousin, Tony, who we don't speak about, we don't know what he does for a living still after all these years. (laughs) He's still in Brooklyn. But um, so I agree. The, The New York that we knew as children is not there anymore. But I do miss the food. I do miss the food. They still my, the other day, my wife and I were trying to new, I won't say where this was, tried a new pizza place near where we live. I'll just say this is in Solano County. And it was basically garbage. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned pizza. There's a show on cable called the pizza show. And I just tuned in last week and it was about all the different pizza stores in Brooklyn. And they show a guy in Carroll Gardens who grew up in this neighborhood, Tanya neighborhood, never left. He said to my father was born. I mean, he walked around it like it's a village. Yeah. A man who owns a pizza shop. I was I envied him. Never left his pizza shop. This yeah. old man, he says, I and it was I showed an old fat guy in a pizza shop, some famous pizza guy. He says, this isn't work for me. He says, I work 16 hours a day, seven days a week. He said, I love coming in there. I make people happy. Yeah. I said, that man is happier than I am. He's the center of the community. Everyone knows him. He provides something beautiful. Bakers are generally happy people, by the way, I found out for uh-huh. something. Maybe the oven burns out all of the bad stuff, but. <laughs> I don't feel that joie de vivre here in the San Francisco area. I even tweeted the other day. I feel like I'm in witness protection ever since I moved here. Like I can't get a good sauce kind of thing. That's right. Like they put the guy in witness protection in somewhere in Idaho in the, in the, in the 70s. And the guy would complain he can't get good food. That was the standard joke. Well, I still feel the same way, Tom. So maybe sometime in the near future, I will take you to the secret restaurant together. We can share <laughs> sauce stories. Any final words about your Fascinating book, No Kings, No Kooks, Confessions of a National Security Agent. Tom Sonicola, any final thoughts? Just want to thank you again, Michael, for having me on your program. I'm a big fan. My mother was a big fan of yours, and I learned quite a bit from you. I just want to encourage young people to, to consider a career in public service. Uh, I was very proud to work with very hardworking agents uh, who were doing their best to keep America safe. I feel proud that I was able to do a small part of that. And uh, next time I'm in North Beach, I'll look you up and you know, we'll go grab a pizza. There's nothing there. I mean, I don't know of a single restaurant. I don't go there much, Tom. I don't go to the city much anymore. Oh, okay. I heard I Aliotos is closed now. They went out of business during yeah. the pandemic. And then Richie died during the closure. He was the heavy set guy. I love Richie. Richie Alioto. He was like out of the uh, Sopranos. There was a character, Fat Pussy, and had nothing derogatory about uh, that. But he looked like him. He was a heavy set. I loved him. He he was and, and his brother and his uh, Joey Aliota died years before. Once the old older guys passed away, yeah, everything became corporatized and everything started to taste like uh, Holiday Inn. Did and you that's ever because- frequent uh, Caesar's restaurant years ago? I know they closed years ago, but the uh, one on the on the on the, on that avenue coming in from it, the bridge, it, it, yeah. Oh, I never went. There were, there were a number of good places. There may be some few. I don't want to insult everyone around here, but it's too much work. You know, you know which Italian restaurant I went to last night? Michael's Italian restaurant. And it's on my YouTube channel, the Michael Savage YouTube channel. Oh, uh, I said, I can't go out another night. So I cooked my famous five spice chicken with pasta. 
and knocked off a half a bottle of white wine. I knew I'd be feeling no pain after a quarter of a bottle. I usually drink a half a bottle, two glasses. I allow myself every night. And sometimes I cheat and go over the two glasses and I get a four hour respite from life. Of course, this morning I have a migraine headache and I can't wait for another cup of coffee. But that's what I do when I want to relax and get the food I want. It's like I really eat it and love it because I spice it the way I like it. Yeah. It's very individualistic, isn't it? That's right. That's right. And to think how our mothers cooked on small little burner oh. stoves. We had a family of six. Or there's four siblings and my parents. So you think how they do it. No air conditioning in the kitchen. Just no air conditioning. You know, we should talk about I remember I, in one of my books, I show a picture of my mother, rest her soul, on a little four burner stove in our uh, uh, attached house in Queens in this little narrow you know, it was a lot. I think we're 100 by 20, those lots. So there were little kitchen. Everything went on in that kitchen, a four burner stove. This woman could put out four gourmet meals at once. <laughs> Nobody could believe it. Yeah. So I learned what you can do in a small space. I've been in these 20 million dollar houses with these chef's kitchens and you open the refrigerator. It's like Lenny Bruce's old joke. It's like a hooker's refrigerator. All that's in there is, is a half a bottle of wine and, and a box of chiclets. <laughs> There's no food. They don't even cook in those places. You don't need a big kitchen to cook a great meal, but yeah. you do need gas to do it right. You've <laughs> got to have gas to cook. I mean, you know, when I turn that gas on, Tom, I actually have a magic happens and it's like a, a laboratory. You're starting the, the, the Bunsen burner in a laboratory in chemistry lab. Exactly. You're going to create something. Exactly. All right, Tom, thank you for being with us. Let's get together real soon, Tom. Oh, wonderful. I love that. All right. We'll hang out. We'll talk real stories. No one will hear what we'll really say. <laughs> All right. Again, the book is No Kings, No Kooks, Confessions of a National Security Agent by Tom Sonicola, who has joined us today on the Michael Savage podcast. Go out and buy that book. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. A violent smash and grab got on camera in San Francisco's Chinatown. Thieves rob a camera store attacking employees with hammers. We have new video of an armed robbery in San Francisco's Noe Valley neighborhood. It is just one of several similar incidents in the area in the past several weeks. Violent smash and grabs, including a recent confrontation between thieves and store owners, are putting the crime spotlight on the heart of San Francisco's Chinatown. Speaking with a, an investigative reporter, Leighton uh, Woodhouse, and the article is about the criminal order beneath the chaos in plain English. There isn't it's not happening by accident. It's not just homeless people robbing a razor blade so they could go and shave and look good the next day. You're saying following the spectacular failure of the war on drugs, the prevailing ideology in the addiction treatment world became harm reduction. Right. That, that's where it started. And it ended up with what we have now. And what you're arguing, I believe, and correct me if I'm getting it wrong, is that if you have no consequences to shooting up in the streets, you're going to become a bigger addict, not a smaller addict. That's there's, absolutely there's a right. limit. There's a limit to freedom. There's no prosecutions anymore uh, uh, for using drugs, let alone almost dealing drugs. And then you write drug addiction itself is coercive. Yes. Even an addict, the choice to continue to use or to voluntarily get clean is as illusory as pushing someone off a roof and giving them the choice to either fall or fly. <laughs> Thank and you. So that, I mean, it's funny and it's very tragic. Yeah. And, and what you're saying is the, the decision to get clean 
has to be as non-optional as an addict's, quote, choice to continue using. It has to be forced. Right. You're the only one from the other side of the political spectrum. And I don't know what side you're on, nor do I really want to make that the issue. You're the only one making sense here, yeah. which is how much more can we take? And unless there are consequences, there's going to be no change. And you're saying it doesn't have to mean jail. And you've come up with a new program, which is building treatment centers outside of cities, whatever that may be. Uh, and not criminalizing the people. That's a very expensive proposition, by the way. But yep. I'm sure people would vote for it. We're spending probably a few billion dollars a year in this city right now in direct and indirect ways on drug treatment, on homeless treatment, on homeless services. What if we took all that money and built some nice facilities 100 miles out of the city and you had to go there till you were clean? I mean, think what of how much money we spend on the homeless industrial complex, which basically oh, just perpetuates the problem. It's awful. And how much money is being made off it? And, yeah. you know, it leads me to the question of corruption. I don't know if there are answers to this. I think they're too clever. And I've seen too many of your movies like The Godfather and every other movie ever made on crime. Mm -hmm. I'm sort of it's like one of my hobbies. How much of this money that go through these cartels and gangs gets f kicked up top to the politicians running the city? I don't think anybody knows the answer to that question because, for example, you know, you can give you can bundle money and give it to politicians anonymously. There are ways in which I mean, I do know that like with with uh, with Boudin, there was a there was one bundle. There were a bunch of contributions that came in bundled from some address in Chicago, which oh, is boy. weird. Oh. Like who in Chicago takes interest in a DA, oh, SFDA's race? And I'm not insinuating that that Boudin himself knows who's behind that. And, and by by the way, you know, it could be it could be, you know, completely innocent. Um, it could be completely legitimate yes. donations or it could be Soros or sources. But I'm not pulling his name out as like in scare quotes. He literally oh, wait, you just triggered me. Yeah. He, he, but I mean, he literally is bankrolling a lot of these 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 DAs, including Why does Soros do that. You did trigger me. And I have to ask you, I've heard various theories on what he's doing it for. None of them make sense to me. Mm -hmm. Why would a refugee from the Holocaust come to a nation and try to undermine civility the way he does? I can't make sense of it either, to be honest, except that he is caught up in this ideology. And the ideology that I'm referring to is what you were talking about earlier about this sort of like devil may care kind of attitude that prevails in places like the Bay Area, which we call progressivism, but it's it's really more like left libertarianism, um, which has a long tradition in the Bay Area. You know, it, it was evident in the back to the land movement back in the 60s. Oh, I love um, that. That's why I moved here. People yeah. did what the hell they wanted and didn't bother anybody. And back then when it was about smoking weed and doing that's right. Rooms, it was about a lot of things. It was look, when I came to San Francisco, even North Beach with the strip clubs were fun. It was mm -hmm. like a kind of a fun thing in the city. No, it didn't go beyond that. Right. And there were some strip clubs here and there, but it was all kind of almost <laughs> looking backwards, wholesome fun. Yeah. You know, Carol Dota on the on a piano. What what's wrong with that? Then going up the street and having a lot of wine and spaghetti with your friends. Exactly. What a fun city. Look, if you're if it's about doing acid and having a drum circle in Golden Gate Park, that's what <laughs> when, when it's smoking meth and setting up a tent camp in the middle of downtown. That's a whole nother thing. That is not 
you know, that's nothing to applaud. That is a, that is a sickness. These are desperate people. This is mass human suffering. And these people are going to die. You don't live long when you're I've heard this 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 saying among addicts, which is that there's no such thing as a long term fentanyl user. Um, in other words, you know, you don't even heroin. You find people who've been using heroin for 20, 30 years. Right. You can you can you can live doing heroin. Oh, I, I look, I grew up in New York. I had two friends that went down that road. Yeah. One of them I knew was using and I Michael may rest in peace. He led a middle class life. And I said, Michael, why do you use heroin? Mm -hmm. And he, he had a, a weird sense of humor. He used to say, he said, I just so I can prove to people I can beat them in tennis while I'm high. <laughs> Michael always had jokes like that. He was a great guy. Oh, because he lived to 55, 60. The other guy, poor on, he died. You know, right. Rather young. Now, now, if my, now, if Michael were doing fentanyl, he wouldn't have no. more than five years. It's too addictive and too destructive to the body. Right. Yes. And so we're letting these people die. And so the, the, the people who argue with me, you know, reflexively use this argument that I'm the bad guy because I want people uh, because I, I, I think that people should be coerced into treatment. You're, you're whereas the they're the compassionate. Right. Whereas they're the compassionate ones because, you know, they want they want to just like give people clean needles and just let people li live and let live. And I'm like, you're living and letting them, letting them die. They're like, if you want to save their lives. And I've heard this from recovering addicts from over and over and over again you have to intervene in their lives you so it, it is not compassionate to let people just rot away on the street and just and, and just die on our streets that is not compassion and the article is about the criminal order beneath the chaos in plain english there isn't it's not happening by accident it's not just homeless people robbing a razor blade so they could go and shave and look good the next day they're doing it and they're kicking it up to several levels of going up, up, up. And it's organized. The state knows it. The state's not doing very much about it. I mean, the governor said they put a couple of hundred million or I don't know what the number is. CHP has a task force. Why is it not stopped late? And if they know it and they know who's doing it and you write such an article, why is nothing happening? It's the political paralysis of San Francisco. This was something that I was trying to demonstrate in the article is that, you know, there's this excuse that like you've, you've heard this. It's a cliche. People say it all the time. Chase Boudina said it a million times about you can't arrest and prosecute your way out of these problems. Well, here's the thing. You actually can arrest and prosecute your way out of a lot of these problems. I mean, look, you're not going to fix, um, you know, alienation and you're not going to cr create a, a economically equal society through the criminal justice system. But can you break up um, uh, drug dealing gangs and fencing operations? Absolutely. Of course you can. That's what that's what police are for. And so this is organized crime. This isn't just some like some some sociological expression of alienation and poverty. This is organized organized crime it's led by individual people mm. they, they 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 make their living off of it they prey on street addicts by the way mm. this is like they, they are exploiting people who you know a lot of folks who like may have gotten addicted to drugs because they had a surgery and they got prescribed oxycontin and then within a few months they were addicted and pretty pretty soon they were living on the streets that happens that happens a lot and and uh and and a lot of those folks in the tenderloin have that story you know people have very different stories but some of them have that story um and they're being exploited by these by these criminal syndicates and so yes you can bust those things and you could chop net and then the other thing that people point to is they're like well even if we busted every single last drug dealer there's still going to be drug use as if the goal is to eliminate all drug use we're talking about like we we can mitigate these 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 um these behaviors so that we have a livable city so that we have a, so that we have a civilization well you're going back to the purpose of the article which is let's get 
get the city back where we can live in it and not not sit in a restaurant and watch a man take his pants down and defecate outside the window or right. worse than that. Uh, get hit in the head with a golf club as you're walking across Golden Gate Park. Right. I remember North Beach again, a little story. This was before COVID. Everything is B.C. now. <laughs> this is B.C., maybe one B.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the um, Fleet Week. I used to go to North Beach. My friend owned the restaurant on the corner of Columbus and uh, Vallejo. Mm-hmm. And we'd sit in the outdoor table. It was great. We'd all go out there, blah, blah, blah. Watch the planes fly over. It was very stirring. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a beautiful city. I mean, there was really no fear. But I was walking one of my friends from out of state back to his hotel, which was the Hyatt on the Embarcadero, whatever that one is called over. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one by the by the ferry terminal. And mm-hmm. as you walk through the park, there was a, a bad looking homeless guy with a golf club who stared at the two of us. Luckily, I had two Mexican bodyguards with me because mm-hmm. I didn't want my friend. I said, look, I got to bring guys. If we're going to walk in the street uh, to my friend. And he looked at us with that club as though he wanted to hit someone in the head and kill him just for fun. Yeah. Madness. Yeah. But because he saw the Mexican guys with me. He walked away that yeah. night. My friend was in the hotel and he heard screaming and yelling. And there was a fight between a guy with a golf club and a guy with a cane uh-huh. hitting each other right outside the hotel. Jeez. That was to me the beginning of the end of the city. It was B- one yeah. B.C. <laughs> Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. It did start to go downhill rapidly after a certain point. Yeah. Well, one thing people should know also, there's been some terrific reporting about this by San Quinones, who's at the Los Angeles Times, which is that, um, you know, the meth that's being used right now, meth used to be made from ephedrine, which you got from Sudafed, but since since all the the crackdown and regulation of of ephedrine, like, you know, if you go and get Sudafed now, they take down your address. What's the starting compound now? Um, so so now they devised a new way to make ephedrine free math, which is called it, I, I don't know the science, but it's called the P2P method, um, which was perfected in, in these Mexican meth labs. And, oh my uh, God. and it's very it's extremely potent. And here but here's the other thing. It induces psychosis. Uh-huh. So if you're doing this kind of meth like, P, you know, we're we, we Michael Schellenberg and I have interviewed users who are psycho who have meth induced psychosis and they're talking about transmitters and they their ears with aliens talking to them, um, the graphic scenes of violence that, that are intrusive thoughts in their head constantly. And so a lot of these people who are walking around screaming in the middle of the street, um, some of them are just have are just psychotic, um, you know, genetically. Um, but a lot of them have meth induced psychosis. It's because of the meth that they're smoking. And if you got them off the meth, the psychosis would go away. And those can be dangerous people. Those can be very dangerous people. It is a highly unpredictable um, state. I don't being- know who came up with this P2P method. I'm looking it up now. I can't uh-huh. believe this. This is pure poison, phenyl two, propanone, aluminum, methalamine methylamine and mercuric chloride mercuric chloride it's the mercury doing it man is a hatter it's the mercury i'm just yeah. looking at it well uh, i i highly recommend sam quinones's book which is called the least of us which goes into the whole history remember the story man is a hatter that, yep. because people who were in the hat business dipped their hands in the solution that had mercury in it to make the brim stiff and they absorbed the mercury and became mad Right. I think it's the mercury chloride, if it's anything in that fennel to uh, PTP that you mentioned, P2P. Sorry. Yeah. Wow. This is all new. The newest yeah. product of the meth epidemic has taken a back seat because of the spotlight on opioids. But P2P meth. Wow. 
It's more dangerous. So that's what's driving them totally insane. So you've got the meth, you've got this new P2P meth, and then you've got fentanyl, which is 50 to 100 times more potent than heroin. Um, it, it just takes a tiny, tiny bit to get you high, which means it's incredibly cheap. And the, uh, a slightly wrong dose can kill you. Um, so a lot this of is, people would say, good, let them all die from it. I don't care. That's right. What, and, I mean, and, I can listen. I can almost hear some people saying, screw them all. I'm sick of them all. I'm sick of the money. Let them all drop dead. I know the average person is fed up with this. Somebody might say that until it happens to somebody. They I understand and until yeah. it affects a kid in their family or yeah. relative. I understand and it's very close to home with a lot of people. Yeah. The and fentanyl, the fentanyl, this fentanyl is in everything. So, like, if a kid orders Xanax off of Snapchat, what you can do? You order um, Xanax from where? from snapchat you can order a lot of drugs on snapchat what um, yes you can order fentanyl on snapchat but a lot of people will, will they'll buy drugs that they think that they're buying some you know look when i was a teenager i messed around um and uh and i was fine because it was the 90s but nowadays if i was doing the same things i was doing then just buying like buying recreational drugs and stuff you you're t if you buy you know anything from cocaine to just Percocet or something like that, there's a very good chance, an increasingly good chance that it'll be cut with fentanyl or just be straight up fentanyl. So there's 14 year old kids who are just, you know, being 14 year old kids, right? They're just being stupid teenagers um, ordering some illegal drug. Uh, how are they allowed drug. to sell it online? How, how is They're that not. Illegal? It's illegal, but it's, but it's easy as hell. You can like, said, look, Layton, you said you, you told me before I'm looking, you grew up in Berkeley, born in Alta Bates Hospital, went to Berkeley High mm -hmm. and attended grad school at Cal. What did you study in grad school? Sociology. Oh, great field. Mm -hmm. No wonder no wonder you wound up the way you are, Joe. <laughs> no, but you're still a person who cares about your society. Mm -hmm. and, um, I got my doctorate from Berkeley in 1978, which is like an eternity ago. <laughs> and I remember I, re I remember standing. I remember the, the fun of the campus, but I saw the insanity emerging and, and coming up from the streets, even in, yeah. the, in the late mid to late 70s, the radical politics were the godfather, I think, to what we are seeing in the streets today. They're all interrelated, yeah. which is the society is oppressive. The society is evil. There's no such thing as a pure crime. It's all a result of an evil society. If we had a more pure society, we'd have less crime or no crime at all. That, that, a lot that of it is... A lot of it is nihilism. That's what I think. It, it a lot of what the left has become is nihilist. And, and you know, back in the day, the the new left in, in, in Berkeley in the 60s and the 70s, um, you know, there were some good things that came out of it. There's some things, the free speech movement, of course, I cared very deeply about free speech. But a lot of it, I come from a sort of an old school lefty background. Um, and a lot of the sort of the anti-institutionalism of the of the new left, which is which is very much what today we're living with a legacy of um, is is nihilistic ultimately it's like mm. we it's like look there, there are there are abuses by police departments so what we need to do or by police officers so what we need to do is is tear down the police abolish the police and replace them with what nobody has an answer oh they did they said replace them with social workers you probably <laughs> have seen that can you <laughs> well, imagine the social, social workers <laughs> you know i saw i saw a video yesterday that i put on, on my website a cop pulls over a guy i don't know in ohio traffic stop and he's actually trying to talk to the guy for 11 minutes. His body cam is on. The guy won't get out of the car. The guy comes out of the car without a word with an axe. And oh, runs I saw that the cop. Yeah. And the cop has such quick reactions that he shot and killed him. Yes. Now, had he not been trained to literally shoot, that cop would have been killed with that axe. Yeah. 
So how do you deal with a story like that when you have so many crazy MFs out there, whether it's fentanyl or or meth? It's insanity out there. I've talked to social workers. I've interviewed social workers for my reporting. They are not they don't when they go into a tent encampment to deal with a client there they 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 bring along a, along a police escort they, <laughs> oh they, tell that to occasional cortex i don't think she heard that one <laughs> they and and by the way the, the defund people often say things like they're like well why do armed officers of the state have to respond to certain calls and one of the things that they point to often is d- a domestic violence call those are some of the most violent calls you can take on an oh, i have police call. in my family and i heard they're the most dangerous of all calls and that's where the two Officers were killed two weeks ago mm-hmm. in L.A. They went to a domestic violence call and he came out shooting and killed them, shot them both in the head. You're literally dealing some, with somebody who is at the height of an irrational, violent rage. Yeah. It is the most it is the, the most likely situation in which they're going to be irrationally homicidal. And you're going to send a social worker to deal with them. It's ridiculous. I know. These I, aren't just serious went, I just went to a Father's Day dinner. I was almost near that at the end of the meal. But that, <laughs> that's a joke. Bad <laughs> The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. So, can sanity ever be restored to San Francisco? And we're using San Francisco as a model for the rest of the country, because really, in many ways, what started here did spread throughout the country, unfortunately. You know, I'm going to San Francisco with a flower in my hair, and now you're going to San Francisco with a tomahawk in your pocket. So, (laughs) where do we go from here, Leighton? Can this be fixed, or will it be fixed? at all I, and at- yeah i am optimistic because i think that the recall the the the, the chase Boudin recall but even more so that school board recall um I, Wait, I which, think, tell me which school board we are referring you are referring to san francisco school board there were um there were i believe three members of the school board who recalled last year um for for you know this is while schools were closed and they were busy fo- obsessing over renaming schools to to renaming schools like thomas jefferson and Diane Feinstein, all these schools, they were obsessed with, you know, all, all this woke politics stuff um, instead of opening schools. And parents got, even in San Francisco, parents were like, what the hell are you doing? And then one of these um, school board members attacked the Asian community and basically referred to them as kind of like the Uncle Toms of something to that effect. Of The, of, the uh, Chinese were the biggest uh, voting bloc that wanted to remove Chesa Boudin, yes. right? And yeah. is it because of what the crime in their neighborhoods, the out of control crime? Yeah, well, you know, Chinese, the Chinese American community, uh, community in San Francisco are, is a frontline community. You know, as I said before, a lot of them, like some of these folks, are also involved in the fencing stuff, so they interface yeah. in that way. But a lot of them, but you know, that that's a that's a small that's a small number of people. A much larger number of people are themselves own mom and pop shops and are victims of crime, of both retail theft, but also increasingly, as we've seen, as everybody in the country has seen in these viral videos of just like hate attacks on Asian Americans on elderly Asian Americans um, and then also street robberies because they're often seen as as uh, as carrying a lot of cash and also l- unlikely to fight back and so like they're sort of like this community has been the canary in the coal mine for for rising um, crime and what they've they, the impression that was formed among the Chinese American community in San Francisco is that Chase Boudin was not willing to hold their victimizers accountable and so they're they so they, they organized and they uh, well, the beatings back. of elderly Chinese in the streets were- was heartbreaking to see video of this. Yeah. And, and I have to ask a very sensitive question. It was largely African-American males that I've seen 
beating up Asians. What the hell is that about? I don't know. And it may be something that I could dive into in terms of reporting and, and look into why that is the case. I, I, I'm sure there's some very interesting uh, sort of causes that you could come up with. I, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with some of these things were hate crimes and others of them were crimes of opportunity where the stereo, the racial stereo they were weak looking hate. older people. Correct. But then some of them were straight up hate crimes because they didn't even rob them. Right. They just like kicked them over and killed them for fun. Oh, the hatred for straight Asians hate. comes from the idea that Asians moved into their neighborhoods or the Asians own the stores, the Asians own the businesses, right? That they're the sort of the, 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 the Jews of Germany to them. No, it came from Trump saying come flu. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, wait a minute. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to quote someone now and hold your, hold your fire. I'm okay. quoting someone who said, I used to be a hardcore leftist, even a radical leftist. There's no question my politics have become more moderate over the years, he said. But it's not just me, he said, who has shifted the left today with its puritanism and authoritarianism is something barely recognizable to me anymore. And it's a man named Leighton Woodhouse. Do you know him? <laughs> I've heard of him. Brilliant guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, so your politics went from, OK, far left to what? What would you define your politics as today? Well, you know, the odd thing is, and I thought about this a lot, is that I don't know that my politics have changed all that much. I mean, I think they have become more centrist to a certain extent that I have moved. I'm, I won't deny that, but it's more that the left has moved away from me. I feel like the principles that I've held before, which was, you know, I objected to concentrated corporate power. Um, I believed in workers' rights. Um, I believed in civil liberties. These were the things that that caused me to identify the with the left early on. I still have those principles, but I feel that what the, this iteration of the progressive movement that currently calls itself the, the the left this pro-censorship anti-free speech <laughs> kind of hectoring lecturing scolding identity <laughs> politics obsessed I left uh, I, said, yeah. I said it's unrecognizable yeah, absolutely you know someone under your article your Substack, wrote this a name emma collins she says five years ago i described myself as a left libertarian i voted and volunteered for bernie today i describe myself as a libertarian she writes the progressive assault on freedom of expression creativity beauty and eros and the abandonment of classic American virtues such as self-reliance, risk-taking, and pride in country is too much to bear. <laughs> here, uh, here. That, that's someone who commented on your article. Do you, is that where you is that where you are today? Yeah, and I believe she's actually somebody who has her own Substack and is a great writer herself. Um, and yes, that is where I am. I mean, I, I believe in I believe in the the principles of the old ACLU before the ACLU. Oh God! This, don't like, get me started. Everyone believed in them when they started. Right, right. But not not at, well. When Anthony Romero took over, it became something a lot different from what it was pre Anthony Romero. It's like pre you know BC. This is a before Romero, BR. I mean, the and then more BR. recently, when when Trump was elected and the country got plagued by Trump derangement syndrome and the ACLU, there's a whole nother story. But the ACLU was inundated with cash and it completely corrupted their vision. And they brought in all these all types of these new activists who have no who have nothing in common with what the ACLU traditionally stood for. So, Leighton, is there are there any closing words for the brilliant geniuses who listen to my podcast around the world? Do you think that with the new DA and police being given new powers to crack down on drug dealers and drug users, we will have changes in San Francisco that are for the better? I I don't know who the new DA will be, but I am very hopeful that 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 DA will take a pragmatic approach. They will arrest and prosecute dealers and they will 
give uh, users the option to I, they will give users that they will require users to go into mandatory treatment and recovery these the users need to be saved the dealers need to be extirpated from the streets of san francisco hmm. and you're hopeful that it could happen I think it could happen. I think it could definitely happen, especially with the political climate today. I think it's become much more uh, pragmatic in the in what once people have seen the human wreckage that has been the result of these um, sort of left libertarian policies. But Gavin Newsom wants to run for the presidency, which I don't think he's ever going to see for a number of reasons. Uh, he knows what's going on. He's a smart guy. He funded this, as I say, these task forces and nothing's changed. So why would it change with a new DA in the city? It's a good I mean, I maybe it won't, but the, I know you're the, an idealist. I shouldn't have. <laughs> well, I would say that the thing that is that is different is that the situation has become so out of control, whereas in the in the first dot com boom, when when Gavin was mayor in the 90s, you know, we had rampant homelessness. Um, it was very visible. A lot of this, the, 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 there was a lot of continuity between then and now. But now we have fentanyl and we have this new meth. We have people we had twice as many people died during covid in San Francisco of overdoses than of covid. So uh-huh. this is not this isn't just a, a, an issue of blight anymore. Mean, or this but is an Fauci issue. didn't blame it on not wearing masks. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I think I think it, it's become what what was blight before is now an absolute humanitarian catastrophe, and I think that um, San Franciscans have woken up to that. Amazing. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed and learned something from it. And I want to remind you of something that I think is important for you to know. We have over 280 Savage Nation podcast episodes available to you absolutely free. I'll say that again. You can go back into this vast library of over 280 episodes and listen to any one of them or several of them at your leisure so you never have to be without the savage nation thank you very much for listening 